Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listener discretion advised. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and gamers... I got a Capri Sun and it's delicious. Yes. <laughs> of it's all ages, hot. It is hot. Oh, man. Summer's here. It took a while. Uh, and we are back this week to talk about gaming stuff. Hopefully more fun than last week's. We had the kind of rant. Hey, we ended on a good note, I think. Well, we hadn't podcasted properly in a little while, you know, with holidays and Rona and people visiting and people being out of town and... Guess who's still at the uh, altar of Nurgle this week? Yeah. Lord Dragon himself. Because, you know, medical science takes a while. Yeah, and besides, more safe for him to be home. Yep. Yeah. So. Quarantine for Kazarkan. The Lord Dragon is under quarantine. Fun topic this week, because it comes relevant to a lot of what's going on these days. When you look at modules, which apparently D&D says you should only run modules now and you shouldn't run any homebrews because homebrews are bad and you should never try to win the game because then it means that it's over, but that's dumb because the game continues on no matter what you do. But anyways, when it comes down to it, so many games and modules have you move on to the end game, which is usually running a town, running a country, running your lands as a lord, actually having that cool, awesome fucking base out in the woods that's staffed by nothing but wood elves that will fucking shoot you from ten miles out. (laughs) A lot of games actually get that way, so yeah, we're gonna go into the fun, happy, wacky topic of mid to late game power base building. Mm -hmm. Cities, towns, gangs, Antifa, (laughs) terrorist organizations... Oh, wait, no, but leave out those last two. Tifa? <laughs> as in character from Final Fantasy VII, Tifa? Yeah. I prefer Queen Latifah. Queen Latifah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Tifa was awesome and everything, and she's best friend that Cloud could ever have asked for. Yeah. But, you know, Final Fantasy's not going to be relevant to today's topic. No, yeah. sadly. Yeah. Can we have uh, a mo- can we have a moment of silence before we go on for Tifa's boobs? Just- no, no. Can we have a moment of silence for Eris' character? Okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what the fuck did the writers do to her? I mean, how about both? Yeah. All right, so moment of silence for Tifa's tits and Eris uh, having her character assassinated. All right, back to game. Yep. Um. So really the question comes into that late game or I don't know why a lot of modules have been in kick it in at about level five that you all of a sudden now have responsibilities to do regular kind of dailies in each of your towns. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, from the point of, oh, well, you now are lords over these lands and you need to do all these things to fix it up. And you have to go out and meet with all these other nobles and lords who will give you more money to fix up your town, which requires you to go and see the nobles and lords so you can get more stuff to fix up the town, which requires you to do more stuff with more people. And oh my God, it's a fucking endless loop. It's part of the power fantasy, actually. I mean, you know, we go through our lives, you know, 9 to 5, or in my case, 4 to 6. You know, 11 just, to 7. 11 to 7. You know, just 
doing shit constantly, and a lot of us want to be like, I don't know, leader peoples, you know? We want to be listened to. That's one thing we really don't get in today's social media world, is people want to be listened to, so they post shit, and you feed off of the likes, and in D&D, you kind of feed off of the GM going, well, your town has more followers. So it's kind of like the dice rolling version of getting likes, I suppose. And really, I mean, what's more awesome than being like the king or queen, uh, crowned, royal, whatever the fuck, and walking into town and the GM's like, oh yes, well all the peasants, you know, kneel before you as by the law that you've decreed six months ago in game. You know, wow, people are finally doing what you say instead of telling you, you know, that you need to come in on Sunday and make more copies for four hours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of get that, but I enjoy that low-level stuff in the game where it's, yo, we're just going to start fucking running around fucking shit up, and uh, yeah, we're going to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm guilty of starting many organizations or townships and whatnot in most of the games that I've been in. It's it's just part of kind of the natural process of role-playing, that once your character begins to become more powerful, those who do not have said power that your character does, in essence, like in D&D, the serfs and peasants, are going to gravitate towards you because you're giving them something they need, which would be, of course, a source of income, a purpose, and stability. Stability, Stability, yeah, absolutely. So the player character, he walks in and he's like, well, I'm just going to claim this land. I did this in a uh, Rifts game a long time ago. I was out in the middle of nowhere and I had this spell called Create Wood. (laughs) And the spell description on it doesn't say that I cannot create houses. Like, I'm casting the spell and I can create, I think it was like some 250 cubic feet of wood. I'm like, well, what's to stop me from creating 250 feet, cubic feet of wood in the shape of windows and doors and floors? Yeah. Counters, you know, stuff like that. So I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to walk into this area where there's pretty much nothing but a bunch of uh, homeless dregs living off the desert and just started summoning houses out of thin air. And I'm like, look, a town, it's yours. And eventually I did this like a handful of more times. We'd be like, Flying along, it's post-apocalyptic. We go into like this shithole area where everybody's basically holed up in a combination hotel slash gas station. And I'm like, aha, more buildings. Now you have a secure place to live. Rumor gets out that there's this crazy man running across North America in the post-apocalypse just summoning towns. And eventually uh, a group of people, they come up and they hire my character to build them a town. And he's just like, huzzah, here you go. Bunch of buildings. Enjoy. There's nothing to stop him from taking the skill of carpentry so I can just do multiple castings to have the houses basically become giant Legos that form where I want them to. So I build them large buildings using the carpentry skill, and bam, there's a town. Aren't you the philanthropist? Oh, I was very much the philanthropist. I have a spell. It cost me nothing to cast it except for sleeping. I (laughs) figured one of your spell components would be a sheep. No. To give you wood. No. Oh, God. Oh, wait, was your character Scottish? No, he was not. But in true form... I did weaponize the shit out of that spell. <laughs> uh, because 250 uh, cubic feet of wood, shaped like a giant bowling pin, <laughs> at a height high enough to become terminal velocity as it was in the air, and then I would cast another spell on it, so instead of doing standard damage, it would do like the ultra-level damage. 
And so you'd have a giant bowling pin just fall out of the sky and crush tanks. <laughs> so yes, I did weaponize the shit out of it. But I did do this in a post-apocalyptic game, and it got to the point where I eventually had my character settled down, and after a couple of adventures, I managed to get a hold of technical secrets, and I'm like, well, what do I do with these technical secrets? You know, well, what do I do? I have just destroyed their company. Nobody else has been here. I've just stolen all the data from their computers, and I'm known back over there for being a philanthropist. So... It gave me a, a mid-level character. I went back to some of these towns, and I'm like, I would like to give you guys something else to do. You know, I built these houses for you. And they're like, great, you built these houses and everything. And I'm like, fuck, here, I'll add a water tower, and I'll add a, a fucking barn over there. Why not? You know, while I'm here. Sure. And then I'm like, oh, and since you guys, you know, don't have any trade products with nearby villages, can you manufacture these? I'll send over some some, uh, some raw supplies. It'll give you guys some... In, uh, some uh, money coming in. Yeah. So they would. And I did that, and I went around to some of these towns and, that I previously built. Next thing I know, I am a business mogul. All right. Had that lumber industry cornered, huh? I, well, not the lumber industry. I was actually getting into the market for making androids. Oh, okay. Okay. Right? So that's the way that game went. And this was about mid-game, but it makes sense that a mid-game player is going to build their own town, their own corporation, or do similar to what I did, and just look back at what their character's already done and says, well, shit, all the building blocks are already there. All I've got to do is, like, sign on a piece of paper, and yeah. my character is now a duke. Uh-huh. You know, the land is already there. It's already been given. I've already got the titles. All i got to do is actually just go there for a little time, set up a power base, yeah. and all is good. Let me ask you this. So, what if you want to set, like... Say you have a scenario like I'll just use Vampire the Requiem as a uh, example. All right. So you have the main city wherever your setting is, right? And say you become an elder or respected enough that the prince grants you—I uh, forget the proper term—but you know he grants you a portion of the city to be your domain. Um, he makes you a land baron. Yeah, he yeah. like you get elder status. Yeah, you basically get elder status. That can yeah. be done. So uh, how then would you go about? Um, what was I going to say? Um, forming your own little, almost kind of like, sub-community within the city. Uh, that's actually really d uh, dangerous, uh, considering that Vampire the Masquerade slash Vampire the Requiem are extremely political games. Yeah, no, uh, I was just using them as an example. Yeah, but say I, I understand. Oh, okay, okay. I understand. Yeah. Um, the thing is, any action you take in Vampire, mm -hmm. you have to consider will be... Stepping on the toes of somebody else. Yeah. And I've had players do this where they uh, decide that they're going to get into the black market. And usually the first route they go is to try to uh, take over a strip and they kill off a pimp and yeah. then tell all of the hookers, oh, I'm your pimp now. I'm the captain. I am the captain, right? They just walk in, they gun <laughs> I the am pimp the and they say, you now. work for me now. <clears throat> Not understanding that usually the pimp has that position of power granted to him not just granted to him but he has hickered and dickered shook hands made the right connections or deals and to have some upstart just walk in got him down is going to piss off somebody yeah you know somebody is depending on that pimp for cash flow i mean it says right there in the book especially you know as far as vampires concerned there's always a bigger fish there's always a bigger fish yes uh, so you gotta understand that in Vampire the Masquerade, is my micro yeah my microphone's on. I don't know what's going on. Uh, in Vampire the Masquerade, you're, you're just coming in low. I am. Uh, you're stepping on someone else's toes predominantly, almost all the time. 
I have had games where the prince is like, okay, you now have this four block area as your domain. You still answer to the prince. Yeah. You know, you, you were basically the town sheriff, but the, the prince still the feds. He can still walk in and do whatever he wants. Yeah. Uh, and plus, if you have that four block domain and there's another vampire in there, you've got to make nice with them real quick. Yep. Or they already have to be on your team before that uh, land gets granted to you. Because if you get into a situation like that, the prince gives you your own little subdomain within the domain, and you don't get along with the locals. Yeah. Uh, you're probably in the middle of a political power play where you won't have much power for very much longer because somebody's already plotting against you. Okay. How do you consolidate? Uh, consolidation, actually, uh, in my experience, in Vampire, anyway, Yeah. Uh, is done slowly. Slowly. Slowly okay. and carefully. Well, they do have all the time <laughs> in the world, literally. Yeah, they do have all the time in the world. Like, when you consolidate your power, uh, you do... You, Pretty much anybody of any character can play like a Sedite. Yeah. Uh, you uh, make connections, you shake hands, you give people uh, what they need, you make favors, and then if shit hits the fan, you have favors to call in. Again, it's very, uh, it's supposed to be political and, uh, again, horror. Yeah. So you're going to have to play vampire in this sort of way. And the same thing goes with D&D. You know, if you get granted uh, land from the king, and there are people there who are loyal to the previous duke and won't take some fucking fresh-faced upstart. Yeah. Again, politics comes into play. Okay. Uh, and for consolidating power, either you're... You're going to have to boil it down to the very root simplest things in the dichotomy, which is hearts and minds, mm -hmm. or shock and awe. Gotcha. And hearts and minds is the long-term game. It's a long-term game, but it has more payoff if you do it successfully. Okay. Shock and awe is great for short-term gains, but it has later ramifications. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, really, if you want a better idea of how to do politics, read, uh, was it the fucking Prince? Yeah, read, read Machiavelli. Oh, yeah, Machiavelli. Yeah. That's true. Machiavelli, one of the only Italianos to understand. <laughs> one of the only Italians to know how to write. <laughs> Oh, you say that, but then you forget people like good old Dante. Shh. Eh. I'm just... I'm just... I haven't said anything, like, steamy for a while, okay? That was, like... I don't know, can we make fun of Italians still? Or is that cancel culture, too, now? I don't know. I don't know. If there's anybody from Italy who listens to this podcast, feel free to send me hate mail. And whatever, dude. We're all neighbors. We can hate on each other. It's all in good fun. Oh, uh, okay. So that's interesting. Let's see. Um, would there be any specific differences or major differences that players should be uh, concerned about? Say they get a little too lofty and they say, "How about instead of making a town or a little settlement, we just make a full big city?" Oh, that has happened. Yeah. And How do you handle that? There, on the mechanical side, it is a fucking nightmare, especially uh, if the GM wants to be a dick. <laughs> if the GM wants to be a dick, he's like, all right, you got to set a tax rate. You're going to need to figure out how to uh, deal with the media. You're going to have to figure out a codified uh, law setup. Yeah. You're going to have to get the people to actually agree with these laws. Because if they don't, if you're too heavy handed on the taxes and laws, people have a tendency to overthrow you. And there's more of them than there are you. Yep. It doesn't matter what your level is if you have an entire country who's pissed at you. Yeah. Uh, and the GM can be a super dick when the players decide that they want to just ride the biggest horse they can find. 
by adding in layer upon layer of all the things they can do. Like, what if one of the um, political people that actually is elected by the people, the people don't like, but the players do, because they're effective at their job, they get shit done. But the uh, the uh, local populace really hates this person for you know overstepping their boundaries of law, and they start rioting or picketing. Well, you wanted to run a city, dear players. Yeah. There you go. Now, okay. now you have moments of disorder going on because something got mismanaged, and you're going to have to find a way to save face. Really. So let them do it. Just make sure they're up to the task, is what you're saying. It's more. More don't bite off what you can't chew. Okay. Like, the way I'm doing it for you guys in our Saturday campaign for C-Team is super light. You guys basically are financing a town. Okay. And the town is for a bunch of the people you employ. You guys, by de facto, are basically the benefactors. You're the rich people in town. Gotcha. So the town's going to do its own thing for the most part. You just financed it. Throw money at it. Yes, because you guys found a horde and used it and decided to build a town and a lake and buy a flying ship. Let's see how long you have it. Any of it. Yeah. All of it. That's that's a concern. Yeah, it is actually kind of funny, too, because, like, one of the, uh, the things that I've been having the most difficulty with over the years, and um, it's, it's really weird, because, like, player characters will run ramshod over whatever the fuck they want to. They will lie, they will cheat, they will steal, they will murder, they'll um, non-consensually struggle cuddle. Yeah. They'll do whatever the fuck they want. Even Regardless of alignment, they're like, I'm lawful good, and she didn't pay penance to the, the good gods. I'm gonna go struggle cuddle the high priestess. Okay, whatever, dude. They will do all these horrible atrocities. I mean, like, literal fucking war crimes at the game table. And then, well, the moment they get established and somebody, like, pings them back, they will lose their fucking minds. <laughs> yeah. Like, have somebody, like, it, make some random rolls while the uh, player characters are sleeping. Uh-huh. And have the thief wake up missing, like, 50 gold pieces. <laughs> they will go. lose their minds. They will not shut up about this for, like, months. Maybe even campaigns later. They'll be like, I can't believe the GM, you know, had some uh, thief sneak in in the middle of the night, steal money from me, and I didn't even get the roll. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Let, let me go full uh, Narciss here. Oh, no, I should totally be able to kill it. I, I would know that they, they lived in that space, and unless they moved, they're still in that space, even though they're completely invisible. Yeah, yeah. So... The same thing comes to politics. I mean, like, players, when they start building um, any sort of power base, you got to be like, all right, well, you do realize if you build a power base, you're going to make enemies who also have other power bases who probably see you as either a threat or you've stepped on some toes or you're muscling into some territory or they think that you're just a, a laptop for the king, queen, prince, duke, yeah. uh, the vampire, overlord, whomever. And they're going to be moving to take you out. And the players are like, oh, yeah, I totally understand that. I, uh, Yeah, I'll roll with it. And then the moment, like, somebody hires a uh, hitman squad to come in and, like, burn down a gas station, the player will be like, well, that shouldn't happen. <laughs> I see. It is hilarious, dude, because, like, the moment something bad happens to players, they just lose their shit. They don't want anything bad to happen. Unless it's, like, right there in the spur of the moment, like, 
Oh yeah, some uh you guys happen to be uh Jumped. going to the mercenary conference and like one mercenary recognizes you and goes, Oh well there's a bounty on your head. Let me drop a D twenty. Oh, all the mercenaries decide to go after you, but you know, you're the one who showed up to the mercenary conference. And you drop a D twenty on the table and they'll just accept it. Yeah. They'll be like, Oh, it, it happened to die rolled right in front of me, spur of the moment. It's not like wheels within wheels, like people are plotting against me because I'm a bad person. <laughs> Yeah, they don't like comeuppance. They don't. And I've had players actually... I had one fuck, super long time ago, and it actually ruined our friendship, but... Aww. He came at... He, like, jumped up at the table, and, like, he starts yelling at me like I was actually going out of my way to target his character for all sorts of bad shit. And I'm like, look, dude, you're running ramshot across the entire campaign. And, yeah, you're not leaving any survivors of the people you directly attack. But there are still witnesses to the shit you're doing. People are going to talk. And the talk has gotten to the point where local lords are getting pestered by people of influence that... Abuse their power? That there's, there's uh, you know, like a craftsman happens to watch this, like, uh, guy who happens to be one of his financiers get ganked. Well, now he can't feed his family. So what is he going to do? He's going to go bitch to somebody. Yeah. And when these news stories start uh, coagulating and, and filtering in, it's grains of sand. And eventually, lords and ladies are going to start sending bad motherfuckers after player characters. Yeah. And this is what happened. Because the player character was just like, oh, I'm evil. I can do whatever I want. Sure, There dude, are consequences. Do whatever you want. And yes, there were consequences. When those consequences finally came knocking on his door, he got all pissy at me like, oh, you're specifically targeting my character. And I'm like, um, no, dude. I'm targeting your character because you would put a bullseye on your chest and you refuse to take it off. Yeah. Just because you're doing something doesn't mean there are not going to be any consequences. And town building... Is the same way. So in D&D, when you're building a village, you know, again, hearts and minds are for the long game. And if you want your village to thrive and survive throughout the rest of the campaign, you're going to learn how to, you're going to have to play nice with your neighbors. You're going to have to greet some palms or at the very le- or at the very least apologize to people you don't even like or respect. Yeah. You know, you're going to have to learn how to be political and tell people how to eat shit and make sure they like it when you say that. Uh, the same thing in vampires, especially Vampire the Masquerade. Everybody has got their fingers in a pie somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Seems to be the theme. It is the theme. And if you walk in and just decide, oh, I'm going to start up my own business in the black market, you have to be prepared for the fact that there will be some kind of blowback. Because if I, I had one character uh, who started dealing in drugs. Yeah. Right? I mean, he's a vampire. He needs to make money a bit tax-free because a vampire getting arrested for tax evasion is kind of newsworthy. And the upper echelons of vampire powers don't like it when one of their own gets arrested. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that'll make great for the 5 o'clock news. Blurry image of dude arrested for tax evasion. Yeah. <laughs> so my character gets into drugs. He gets into the black market and starts selling. And other drug dealers are like, the fuck? Yeah. Our yeah. turf. Well, not just. Well, it was. He kept it small at first, you know. And of course, as anybody does, my character decided. Oh well, nobody's fighting back, so it must be okay to proceed forward. Well, he went from small time single deal, single vampire dude just hustling, to a guy who's got his own street now. Yeah. And when you have your own street, that means you have turf, you have territory. 
And that means that territory was edging on other people's turf or other people's territory. And they didn't like that. So yeah, there was blowback. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe dealing drugs isn't that fine. I was like, here you go. Here's my car. All the drugs are in the trunk. I'm out of this game. I don't want a bullet in the head. They were like, well, if we ever catch you dealing drugs again, I'm like, you never will. Not in your lifetime. Which is long. <laughs> Which is long. But since I'm a vampire, I'll just wait till they all die and start over again. Yeah. By then, I will have more of a power base set up. But, you know, you got, you got I expected this. You know, and when there was some blowback, when it finally came, I was like, well, I've got enough money that I can do what I want to do right now with other shit. I don't need all the drugs. Here you guys go. Free. I see. Um, you know, so basically I paid off the, uh, the local uh, gangs and went my own way. They, they stink-eyed me for throughout the rest of the campaign, but I was perfectly fine with that. Like, my vampire's driving around, and, you know, he goes down to, like, one of the corners, and there's a couple of gangbangers who are looking at him, and I'm like, not dealing. We agreed. And then I just go on my merry way. And this was a constant in that campaign. Hmm. You know? That's an interesting little um, uh, additive to the campaign there, just, you know. To give players an idea of internal politics and stuff, and maybe the things to look forward to in the town you'll make. And, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that happens. Maybe some bad motherfuckers come rolling in and see this upstart town. Now they want to try and take it over. Real Wild West shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, especially in D&D, you can expect that. Like, uh, I hate to use it as an example, but Kingmaker. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's got all the rules for building your own town in there. And, yes, you could be building your own town, but if you're going with the kind of more Wild West theme with your D&D game, yeah, some... Bad hombres could show up in your town and realize that only five people run this town. And if you weaken that power base, those five people are nothing compared to the uh, Crackletooth gang. Yeah. So the gang leader, you know, he gets word to bring in all the boys. And next thing you know, an army of 40 uh, armed and very dangerous individuals descend on the town with five player characters to fend them off. I see. Yeah. And then you can even have more subversive stuff where it's just, oh, well... Um, the halflings began moving into this town, and they start to take it over. It becomes a halfling colony, basically. Alright. And after a long period of time, all of a sudden, halflings are now in every single position of power besides you guys, and they decide to overthrow you. I see. The Merchant Guild arrives! <laughs> Or, God forbid, that, you know, you've got a religious cult. The worshippers of Slanesh have slowly yeah. been converting all the people in the town to follow, and now they're ready to take you on. Oh, yeah, yeah I mean, that, you can get really Conan levels on that one, you know, like the, the whole Temple of Set stuff. Because that's all what they're about, is subversion. Before they, like, even put up their first temple with a snake on it, half of your townsfolk will be converted. Yep, that's the way to do it. You know, they'll, they'll sneak in in small numbers, start converting people, and if they get big enough numbers, then they'll make their presence known. But by that point, they are too fucking broed in deep to be able to just be pulled out. Like Gene Steeler cults. Yeah. You have an entire cult. Like, if the player characters start a town, they have to be aware that, like... And there are actually games where the players um, do, on the opposite side, sneak into a town and subvert it. So yeah. that, that's totally uh, legit that if players are building a town, that there could be also subversive elements. When you start gathering people together, what's going on outside the individual person's view, even the player character? 
there could be a lot of shit going on. Ooh, yeah. or God forbid, you say you're a group of adventurers, you go out to do your adventuring goodness, you're gone for a while. Maybe a season. You come back, town's deserted, plague came through. Oh, hell. Now all that stuff you built, man, you weren't there for a while, and shit went down. And nobody will move in, because it's cursed. Cursed, I tell ya. Yeah. And boom, just like that, new quest. Oh yeah, figure out what happened, who cursed it, where'd everyone go, or did anyone survive? Yeah. Always pin the blame on the rogue. <laughs> That's what I say. It's always the rogue's fault. Hold on, always pin the blame on the elf. Around elves, watch yourselves. Knife-eared fucks. Green-blooded, pointy-eared bastards. Worse pink skins or pointy-eared pink skins. Hey, it's like I was telling somebody the other day at work. Yeah. Legit. Uh, we were actually talking about this, and according to the way shit's going in, in real life, race came into play, and I was just, I straight up told him, you know, hey, elves are the worst race ever. And if you have a chance to get an elf out of your town, do it. And he's like, well, why? And I was like, because when the going gets tough, the elves leave Middle Earth. Yeah. I mean, the moment things start getting hard, I mean, even the halflings are sticking around. The elves are, like, packing them. They're like, fuck it, see ya. Yep. And we're taking all of our shit with us. Not who, trying to wants make an sure elf on, who wants an elf on their team when the elves are just going to leave? No. no, no, the elves are all about free and open borders and stuff. Right up until you go into their woods, and then they break a bone for every twig snapped underfoot. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Lanawar, man. Yeah. yeah. But that, that's just some of the fun stuff you can do with a game, is just running through all kinds of scenarios. You're, you're gonna build a town? Cool, there's fucking disease, there's all this other shit. Maybe you have to run the town completely, maybe you're just the fucking owners on the lease. Maybe you're fucking... I don't know, you get conscripted, there's a rival fucking adventuring party. I, I just got this mental image of a shitload of dwarves with picket signs, you know? Yeah. Open borders for Rivendell. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh, there's another thing, what if there's, you know, racial issues, because I'm sorry, I play old style RPGs, where elves and dwarves are actually different things for reasons, and it gives them character. That's true. Yeah, you know, the, the old D&D realm, where, you know, Illithids were actually a horrible parasitic species and not just a choice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and apparently, you know, Illithids and Drought didn't get along for, well, reasons. Very valid ones, apparently. <laughs> but yeah. now it's all a, a fucking social construct as a choice. It's milk toast. It's, oh, welcome to uh, Drowland. Yay, everyone's happy. We like spiders. Eight legged friends for lots of hugs. Like, if you're going to tell a story and you know it's going to be somewhat gritty, be prepared for grittiness. If you've got to run a town yeah. in a gritty storyline, yeah, be prepared for fucking Gotham City. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's what I plan on doing with my Requiem campaign. I mean, I don't plan on sugarcoating it, so... Where's the Joker? <laughs> Greatest detective ever. Yep. I hate that version. And the new version. Really, all the movies except for Batman 1989. The only good Batman movie. Where he actually did detective shit. Mm -hmm. Well, I kind of dropped the detective stuff. But yes, uh, when players are creating their town, their power base, or whatnot, if they're careful about it, I foresee no reason why not to let a player just 
do whatever. Yeah. If they are taking their time and attention and building a power base slowly over the course of, say, months or years in game towards a bigger goal, fine. No problem. Because I will assume that just like a spell component pouch for the wizard, their character is minding the small stuff that the player may be forgetting to do. Right? They, like if you're building a town, the player may not be thinking immediately that people might want to have troughs yeah. for horses to drink from scattered throughout the town. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, plumbing to take all that feces away. Yeah. So I figure, you know, if they're taking time, that the player may, you know, just write it down as a note. Or, I mean, the character themselves may write it down as a note, and I'll just leave that as a backdrop item uh, when I'm GMing a game. I'll be like, oh, yeah, well, don't worry about water troughs or plumbing. Your your character's already figured that out because you've been spending three years building this town. Yeah. You know, you're taking your time to do it. So, the small stuff, and you're, you're hiring contractors anyway who will in- include the shit in the bills. But if you walk into a place and be like, I'm building a city-state here. Big dick swinging. Big dick swing, and they summon a castle and then start just summoning a shitload of people. It's going to basically look at... It's going to look kind of like um, Woodstock back in 1969. Yeah, you'll have a fuck ton of people there. That don't know shit, don't do shit. That don't know shit, don't do shit. They're, and they're not going to be probably the most skilled people or whatever. And they're just going to consume resources and then skedaddle the moment it's over, leaving nothing but a mess behind. Yeah. That takes, you know, a a year to clean up, and then, what, a decade after for the field to become usable again? Yeah. You know, it, it's just one of those things of, if you're going to have the town, and, like, with you guys, it's simple, because literally the town was built to house the crew's families, because you need a crew complement of, like, 50 fucking people. They have families, they have lives, they have yeah. needs. So you built the town, so guess what? There's going to be a fucking whorehouse. There's going to be a bar. There's going to be a trading post, because you got to get these things in. There's going to be a general store. There's going to be a bunch of fucking housing. And a guy selling water baboons. Uh, a femboy hooters. I'm I mean, more of a tomboy outback, but yeah. Yeah. Tomboy outback, totally legit. Mm-hmm. But me? Freckle bitches all the way. Freckle bitches. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, they specialize in potatoes. I like tits and grits. Uh, I'm I'm still for freckle bitches. I mean, she showed me her um, triple deckers, and I have to still show her mine. <laughs> I have the meme to prove it. So she yeah. showed me her beef. I have to show her mine. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that's just one of the things of there's so much little minutia that I'm trying to avoid in our game. Yeah, I don't need you guys to know that. Oh, the farms are floundering, so now you need to. Give them 5,000 and make everyone work to make this thing go. Yeah. Yeah, it was... It was no. um, the most recent D&D game I did... Actually, I was playing... A, a, again, as usual, I was playing a magic item crafter. And the first three things I looked at... Because uh, we decided we were going to just take over the town. Because the town was utterly shit. And so we decided, hey, if we walk in... The best way to win the people over would be to look like heroes to them. How do we look like heroes? Well, we fix the shit that's broken. We start with the physical manifestations of the problems first. The other manifestations will lessen in time, like the crime. Yeah. Or um, hunger. 
those things will lessen once we uh, take care of the more situational problems. Such as a werewolf. Well, no, we didn't have a werewolf. Um, the town was highly industrialized, which was just a playground for me. I'm a magical crafter. Yeah. So I'm looking at making Magitech. Holy shit. Well, the first, things three, first three things I looked at was air quality, soil quality, and water quality. And I told the other players, I'm going to look at these three things first. You guys worry about the politics. You worry about the policing or financing or, you know, building of uh, structures and stuff. Yeah. I'm going to uh, take on the ecological ramifications and try to fix the farming fields. Because if farmers can grow food, that means people are going to be less twitchy about the future as to whether they can eat or not. Thus, live there. Yeah, thus live there. If I take care of the water quality, people will be able to drink cool, crisp, clean, clear water. Mm -hmm. I'll be the liquidator. Yeah. So that'll remove one other problem. If I take care of the uh, air quality problems, because the furnaces are polluting the local air because of the way the land is shaped, it's creating a perpetual uh, smog inside of a caldera. Yeah. So people are going to get disease and stuff. So if I remove these three problems for our group... We now look like heroes because one of the heroes has shown up and taken care of some of the ecological problems, and that'll make life easier for the guy trying to solve the problems with crime, or the guy trying to solve the problems with housing, or the dude trying to uh, solve uh, government. Yeah. So we were looking at the long game when we went in there, and the GM was pissed because apparently when players actually work together, they do evil shit. <laughs> Like, screw up the GM's plans to make a town so bad they want to move out. <laughs> we're like, no, we're player characters, we can fix this shit. Or we'll give it a good goddamn college try. Yeah. Uh, and we were. We were looking at the long game, but that's the way... Uh, and most players, like, I was really glad to be in that group. Uh, because the players didn't want to just walk in, off the local nobility, assume the chair, and say, Okay, peasants, here's my orders to fix things, now get out there and do it. Yeah, yeah. Which is completely the wrong way to go about Back it. Back to the whole shock and awe. Back to the whole shock and awe or puppet government kind of shit. You know, just walk in, slam around. And really, I mean, like, some dude just basically walked into your house, broke through the wall, Kool-Aid man style, and said, Oh, yeah, I can fix your neighborhood. Here's how you're going to do it. Yeah, yeah. Nah, I ain't gonna work. <laughs> yeah, for real. Fear and terror only work as a form of government until people stop being scared. Yep. Then you're up shit creek. But if you look like a hero, you have something to fall back on. That's true. You're like, look, I didn't ask for anything when I first showed up. I saw a town in need. You are the people who elevated me to my position, and now it's my responsibility to do the best I can to uphold that. I'm not doing it right now. I'm sorry. But if you give me a chance, just like when I first came to this town and you guys first saw me do stuff, yeah, I'll try to make that happen again. Okay. And people will be more inclined to be like, you know what? Yeah, he did. He came in and he didn't ask for anything and helped us out. All right. And we're the ones who put him up on the pedestal. Sure. You know, maybe give him another chance. You know, it, it, again, it's politics. And when you're creating a, a city or a government or an organization in a game, if you think short term, you're you're just shooting yourself in the foot. That's all I got to say on it. Okay. Yeah, I mean the. The big thing when it comes to that is if you choose to do this, like in the homebrew, I did not set up for you guys to do this. You guys have freely chosen to do this. Yeah. So now I've got to change the game world a little. You guys have created a town that will now be a permanent feature in every iteration of this game going forward. Okay. Um, like until I burn it down. <laughs> with kindness. So, 
it's going to be a thing, you know, and part of the deal going forward is just that you guys will have certain things that you got to do, you okay. know. Uh, if you guys want to be the great statue in the middle of town that a couple generations later, kids are going to try and tear down because they said you were terrible people, Yeah, you know, then... Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Then, you know, you guys got to earn that statue by the people you have there now. All right. You know, but... It's not just, oh, this is my town and I make all the money off it. You basically put up the upfront fees. Civil servant. It's like Animal Crossing. You don't yeah. <laughs> own it. You are just the one in charge of paying for it. Yeah, you're the one who makes it look nice. Yeah. And I mean, there, there's just a lot of stuff that you can do in games. But when it comes to like the way modules are written for it, it, it just really becomes more of a dreg because then that's all the game becomes. Yeah. And if I'm only 5th level, that's 15 more fucking levels I've got, minimum, for me to continue running around and fucking shit up. Yeah. Why do I want to have a character who is literally built for specialty combat? Literary? Literary. 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 Literally. Sitting there, made for specialty combat, and I'm forced to sit in on a goddamn fucking council to do a fucking judgment yeah. on something where the law should be very clear but we have to make the decision and then the argument breaks out of well is this a law yet or not Yeah. I what mean, is their definition of is by reason you should have people already hired to take care of that apparently not in that module which also <laughs> gave us social combat interesting no it's not you think it is but it's not uh, I was saying that in a not fun way. Yeah, it's actually really strange because when modules, module, it just this is really funny, especially considering the new news that modules are the way games are supposed to be run. Don't do homebrews. Is exactly taking me back to like 1981 D and D game stuff. Yeah. Uh, technically, during that time, modules were the only way you were allowed at home. And they have no way to enforce this, but it was the only way you were allowed at home to play Dungeons and Dragons. Huh. Is you had to play your adventures through the modules and do them verbatim. Huh. So essentially, it was you know four people sitting around, and the GM was actually nothing more than a glorified Atari uh, computer processor, right? Like a narrator. A fucking narrator, and homebrews became the standard norm. And now here we are, 30 years later, and they're like, oh, you can only run modules only. That's the only official way to do it, even though we have no way to enforce it. Like, holy well, no, they do have a way to enforce it now because so many people are gaming over the intranets. Over the intranets, yeah. So now, if you're on fucking God knows what and you're trying, your tag says homebrew, you're going to be experiencing a lot of fucking lag, I imagine. Probably. For the foreseeable fucking future. That's depressing. Yeah, the, doing gaming on the internet has become a, a fucking blight. Anyway, the other irony to all of this is especially fucking Kingmaker. Great in concept. Horrible in execution. I'm going to stay on that horse and ride it until the uh, movie's over. When a game incorporates rules for city building, for some reason, it takes on that task feeling like it's just another part of the game where it's just a series of numbers and has no real emotional relevance to the player but if you're running a homebrew campaign and the player says you know what 
we're uh, we're playing a Wild West game, and I want to start off uh, a town that will rival Carson City. You know, fuck it, I'm gonna start a Wild West game at Carson City, and it's gonna be mine. And the other players jump on board. For some reason, it's a lot more fun. Hmm. It's a lot more personal to players. And even though you're making shit up on the fly, the whole growth of the town, just in like in real life, feels more organic. Shit just happens because the guy who wants to rival Carson City, he happens to uh, establish a silver mine. Well, that's how a real mining town starts. Yeah. And a real mining town dies when the silver mine dries. But when you establish a town like um, the Frontier Town in Kingmaker... It's like, oh, by the rules, you're going to get this uh, as your capital, and the local lord is forcing it upon you. And it just, it's, it's a task. The players understand, yeah, it's part of the module, and there's rules and stuff, but... Meanwhile, all I want to do is run around and fucking adventure. I want to fight dragons. I want to fucking tear down a criminal organization that wronged me for two gold. Yeah. I want to be able to get out and fucking adventure. I'm a goddamn adventurer. My little halfling heart requires me to see the fucking horizon, and I'm being chained to the fucking floor because of this goddamn module. Preach it. Rise of the railroads. And you know what? And Return the, of the railroads. Return of the railroads. The other thing a module will not let you do yeah. is give the rogue a dirty Chewbacca while they sleep. Oh, that is... Yeah. That's tragic. It is very tragic. Give me them nipples. <laughs> I mean, it modules like they're fun, and some of them can be well written, but sometimes they don't give you information that they should. Modules have their place, and strangely enough, only one module, one out of all the games that I've played, and I've played about a good dozen games that were module based. So one out of twelve here, roughly. One module actually entertained me. Huh. The rest... Oh. Uh, Disappointment, heartache, broken friendships? I wouldn't say broken friendships, but there were moments there where I was about to break people of friendships. <laughs> uh, just... Yeah, some of the modules that I've done, because again, players will always do the unexpected stupid shit. Yeah. I've done unexpected stupid shit in modules. My character should have right then and there fucking died. I was playing my character according to the way the rules were written, and according to the rules in the module, I should have died. And the GM is just facepalming me, and he's like, can you just run away? And I'm like, no. I'm playing a paladin. Running away isn't what a paladin does in a situation like this. <laughs> if I've done wrong, I have to own up to it. Or I don't get past the gates. It's the way it works. <laughs> it's my deal with God. I gotta be good. <laughs> gotta be good for God. I gotta be good for I'm God. I'm on a mission from God. I had a, Tell him you failed. We had another uh, module where uh, there was a porticolis that was broken, and we had to just basically attach a rope, and the porticolis would open, but the um, mechanical side to the porticolis was a skeleton just walking in a circle. Huh. Pushing on a, um, a handle. It was Whatever. basically like one of those rotating handle dealy bobs. I yeah, can't remember the yeah. name of it specifically. But we have an undead slayer in the group who wants to kill the fucking skeleton, even though it is a mindless undead. Yeah. 
I saw no problem with it. The other players are like, okay, well, wait till the skeleton opens the portacolis. We'll wedge it open with some wood blocks. Call it a fucking day. You can kill the skeleton and get your undead killer uh, fucking jism all over the floor. And we'll continue along with the adventure. Easy. Yeah. No, it turned into an argument between the GM and the player because the GM's like, well, you don't have to kill the skeleton. And the player's like, I do have to kill the skeleton. By my oath to my god who absolutely hates the unfucking dead I must slay them upon sight. You exactly. Or lose my place in the great afterlife. Yeah, it was something like that. There was also another one that we killed. Uh, I got injured during battle and this was I was still very young at the point. I was like fuck 14 or something like that, maybe 15. And the module has us capture an elf from slavers. But my species considers elves to be a delicacy. So, you, nothing could go wrong there, right? No, nothing. Did they say you had to return it whole? They didn't say we had to return it at all. And I got injured. So I'm like, well, I've taken flesh wounds. What heals flesh wounds? Flesh. So if I eat, that will help the healing process, as doctors usually give you a hamburger after a surgery kind of shit. So I ate the elf. And the module went completely sideways when the other elves came looking for the chieftain's daughter. Uh-oh. And I'm like... Wrong kind of eating. <laughs> yeah, I was a Thrycreen, dude. It's a bug person. No, I figured. Yeah, so it, I, I gave her the praying mantis treatment. Gotcha. Nom, 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 nom. So yeah, the module went completely sideways, and then the rest of the game just turned into me and the other player just waylaying all the elves we saw because he thought it was funny that we got in trouble because I ate a royal member of the family. You know, so then some other module. There was another module where I was playing a character of an unholy order, and there was actually an in-game reason why I wouldn't like the bad guys in this one, but the GM. Of course, he blew it all out of proportion while I was still trying to look for a reason as to why my character would cooperate in these circumstances. And that was another bad module. Bad module. Bad, bad module. Bad module. City building is a lot the same way. Like, if you bring in rules by a book uh, with city building, and they have these in several books, if there's like a cheat sheet guide, yeah, things are pretty fine. I've noticed in my experience about 25 years now, things are fine if there's a cheat sheet. You know, like, published by the game, Matt, the uh, the company that makes it, like, players have an established base. Check. They get X amount of citizens. Do they have established laws? No. Check. Lose X amount of citizens. Uh, you know, are they uh, currently, you know, engaged in protecting the citizens, or do they have a police force that they're paying for? Check or no check, and so on. And then you get kind of like a little final tally there at the end. It's quick, easy, and simple enough that the player characters usually will just roll with it. Okay. But, again, you guys in Kingmaker... <laughs> hey, I was not the one who wanted to become Batman. You're also not the one who read the module without my permission. Oh, and, wait, which one did that? And then proceeded to tell me the best ways to run the town... And then sat around with everybody else trying to have like a super secret meeting right in front of the GM and telling them exactly which uh, bullet points to hit on the, the city building so that you never would have to make a check 
for bad things happening in the town by the way the rule system was set up. Hmm. Is that the person we don't talk to anymore and completely salute when we drive by? No, that's... Um, or is that the person that I work with? That's the person you work with. That's, that's the guy you give a ride home who took it upon himself to, behind the GM's back, mathematically break the uh, system in the best interest of the group. Thus completely, basically negating half of, well, I would say about a quarter of the actual city building scenario itself. So he negated a quarter of the next five books. Great. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't look forward to that. Like, the way I'm going to run it in my game is a bit more freeform. I just have a list of random shit now, and I'm just going to roll it and see what happens. I, I would definitely, uh, at this point in juncture, I would say freeform is the best way to go. Because at the very minimum, players are more emotionally invested. Yeah, and definitely when it's their idea. And I mean, it right now it's just it's a company town. the The jobs are here. They've built the town there, and it's gonna have jobs that pop up where hey, these wives and husbands and kids that grow up in this town for now, and the young people and the relatives that move in. Well, we're gonna need a, a green grocer. We're gonna need a butcher. Oh, we need some protection here. We need to get a militia going. Yeah, it's it, the players in the game setting itself too, and this this is more of a fifty-fifty coin toss. But in my experience, sometimes when you have a more mature player at the table, if something bad happens to town, they are more willing to fight for it inside the game mm -hmm. rather than fight for it by the rules off the game table. Yeah. Uh, this has just been my experience, though. It's like, something bad happens in the town, and one of the players is like, shit, we've got to take care of this. There's, uh, bandits raiding, or, you know, there's, uh, monsters underneath in the sewers that are now infesting, uh, the system that we built. They'll be more willing to go, okay, we're gonna hire some adventurers to take care of this shit for us, because we've got bigger shit to fry. Or yeah. we'll send our followers to go take care of it. They'll find some way in-game to go, well, we need to deal with the monster menace taking root in our uh, how our town and in a strange way they kind of become the quest givers themselves mm -hmm. but usually uh, I would say 65-70% of the time the players are more invested and more willing to take care of things in game if the GM is like look if you want to take care of this problem figure out a solution and the players being more emotionally invested because it is their idea will be like well shit we need to figure something out Mm -hmm. We need a game plan so we can keep on with the adventure, but take care of our homestead. Yep. You know, this, uh, that's pretty much my purview on it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a thing where, like, I didn't feel invested, but also I end up switching characters after we created the town and the year passes by, and I was just kind of done because I felt like my character couldn't be in the main state group. I couldn't be the general, I couldn't be the king, I couldn't be the fucking... Uh, executioner, any of that stuff, because my role in the party was not any of those. That's actually one of the other... One of the few things I actually felt was not right in that module. It was having to make the party of the king and this and that and the other. Well, it was having to... I understand having a party leader. And this has almost always been the case for fuck ever. Long before I even got in the gaming, they would be like, well, we need a party leader or we need somebody to speak on behalf of the party. Typically, it goes to the person with the highest charisma scores, you know, so if shit goes wrong, they just make a few rolls and they got the best chance to succeed. 
fair. I can work with that. But in Kingmaker, they're like, oh yeah, well, one person has to be the lord of the manor and everybody else works for them. This automatically props up one player character to be more important than the rest of the, at the group. Or, or at the rest Which is at the why team. my second character, Floyd, the, um, the vizier, his entire goal was to kill everyone else in the party so that he then became senior, which then by the rules of that game would put him in control. Yeah, well, it does kind of put that into play too, that the political skullduggery between player characters and PvP in a game is going to happen organically and usually because a player is too immature to go, well, shit, let's play nice. No, instead they're going to try to escalate and have player versus player combat, which is really always a bad idea in any game, regardless mm -hmm. of system. Uh, and Kingmaker does kind of foster that PvP sentiment. Like, if somebody gets a position in the group they don't want, or they start amassing power, they can be like, well, fuck it, you know, so-and-so is leader of the uh, intelligence group within the city, but I want to start one. Mm. I wanted intelligence. Well, then they start hiring, you know, private spies, or they get in charge of, you know, the homeless encampments and brothels and start low. Mm-hmm. You know, so they start developing their own little birdies. They get their own intelligence network. And that will in institute some sort of uh, PvP between the players. Like, if one person doesn't get what they want, but decides to do it themselves anyway, then you're going to have political intrigue between the player characters at the game table. Yeah. Which is uh, inevitably going to devolve into PvP at some point. Or just outright assassination, which no GM really wants to be the middleman of. Mm -hmm. I don't know of any GM who wants to be sitting there when one player's like, well, I'm going to send assassins to kill the other player. And then the GM's going to be like, okay, well, here's your list of assassins. Which one are you hiring? And um, how do you want them to do it? And then the player GM has to turn around, look at player B, and be like, all right, well, you're sleeping. Make a perception check. Oh, nope, you're dead. You're dead. Which is what some Die. of it can really come down to. And it's sad, but the best part... I find in some of that internal intrigue stuff was literally my entire plan and I, I had a five phase plan on how to kill every other member of the goddamn party including my significant other at the time <laughs> to in kill the character uh, in character he was going to kill his significant character his a significant other in character not in now life. my ex but yeah now his ex but that has no relevance but in game yes. I had a 12 step plan to kill each of their characters you know, and it was really simple and poetic. And then we dropped the game. Literally as I was about to kill one of them. <laughs> well, you can blame the person you drive home for being the primary catalyst of the game closing down. He made it not fun to run. If the GM is not having fun running a game, don't expect it to last very long. Yeah. I mean, that that's one of the big things is don't piss off your GM don't piss off your fellow players because even if you piss off half of the other party they can just say fuck it I'm out and then you don't have a game at all yeah that's well, why like with you guys I have the best fucking fun because it's more like we're all playing off each other yeah and I really get that feeling when we uh, sit down to game yeah, yeah it really feels like a collaborative effort oh and don't forget your squirrel tomorrow I won't forget the squirrel bring your squirrel I'll bring the squirrel these nuts squeak squeak and squeak them so yeah uh, that'll just be one of the big things is if you're doing a city in a game run it how you see best fit for your group 
What if it's out of a fucking module? Take that module, close it up, take it back to the store, ask for a fucking refund, and buy some more minis. Yeah. That's all I can say. Truth. I will definitely roll with that. I just... Module... Just, yeah, any system that tells players that they have to build a town whatever but if like it's a cop out on writing i feel it's a way to fluff up the playtime it is way to play. like when it happens organically if like one player sits off to the side and they're like i don't want to be a part of this they have that option they can be like i'm gonna run off and do my own thing while these guys are city building mm-hmm. you know they can be like and they don't need and of course you know one of the big worries a gm will have at this point especially like myself is like oh god they're gonna want one-on-one time so now I'm going to be running two groups. I'm going to be running these three people over here and this one person over here. But it's still an opportunity for the GM to be like, all right, since you're building your city, come up with a plan, write out a sheet, give me bullet points and some dice rolls. We'll get to those in a moment. Just come up with a plan. Formulate this shit out. So sit amongst yourselves and debate. And then the player who's running off and doing their own things, just let them know, hey, what you're doing while they're doing this shit, you're not going to be going and doing a dungeon adventure one-on-one but I'm still going to want to know what your character's up to. So yeah. give me a bullet point. Here's the rules. You know, if you're playing like Pathfinder, here's the rules for downtime. What are you doing during downtime? Your character has three months while they build a town. Give me a play-by-play. Are you training? Are you, uh, you know, schmoozing it up? Are you starting a uh, crafting empire? What? So give them the downtime rules. And just handle the entire thing, basically downtime. There's rules for it in Pathfinder... Or you can handle it in most other games just by saying, give me bullet points, and we'll make up some dice rolls and shit. Yeah. Because uh, it, yeah, it's... Trying to start a one-on-one campaign, running two separate groups of the same one group is a pain in the ass. It can be done. And it only really works when it's done intentionally by the GM. Good to know. Yeah. So, if anything, guys, that's, that's really, what I think, what we can get across on Towns. Yeah, yeah I'm... Yeah. Towns are pretty easy. Just like my mom. (laughs) Alright, so that is Doth Blasphemous signing out, saying, for the love of God, just don't run a module that has you build a town. It's lazy writing for the fucking developer. Let it happen organically. If your players want to start a town, organization, ROTC club, uh, fucking book club, whatever. Let them have at it. Uh, Just... Remember to remind them if they try to start something that there might be toes stepped on, there could be repercussions. Just like adventuring, when you go swing a sword at somebody and they swing a sword back, one of you is going to get hurt. Yep. yep. So that's what I got to say. Yes, my mom is easy. (laughs) All you got to do is bring some lube. She's dead. Oh, God. So urns can chafe. Just saying. And with that, I'm going back to my crypt. All right. Uh, Moniker out. He feels like he learned something this week. Hooray! The Moniker is also very sleepy.